0: Good morning, Strong Tower. Morning. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Genesis chapter two? Genesis chapter two. Wow, it's always good to be in the presence of the Lord, which is every day, everywhere, all the time. But it's something special also about being in the house of the Lord. Um, Even though we're not cranked up the way we normally are with a live band and live worship and extemporaneous moments and uh, hugging and greeting and all the things we normally like to do. But I'm just grateful that we're here. Uh, We hunger and we thirst after him. We hunger and we thirst after righteousness. And I'm encouraged by those of you who have brought your children Knowing that at this time right now we don't have children's ministry, um, I commend you and I honor you. And their movement does not bother me, amen. their noise does not bother me. Uh, amen. This is the living room. We're in the household of faith. And so this is not a production, this is not a performance. This is God's people gathering and worshiping. And uh, I can't imagine what churches around the country. Even around the world, um, when we think about what's going on in India right now with the uh, outbreak to a whole nother level as pertains to COVID, what is the church going through there? So one thing we don't want to do is be prima donnas or be selfish people or people who feel a sense of entitlement. Um, No, man, we're, we're hungry beggars who found bread and we're telling other people about the bread of life. We're we're just grateful and honored to be anywhere knowing Jesus. Um, There's someone worshiping right now in a prison cell who wish they could be here today. There's someone worshiping in a hospital bed wishing they could be with us today. So may we not take these kinds of moments for granted. Matter of fact, these moments are special to me because it's different and different is different and different can be good. So uh, again, I, I just commend you. You look beautiful with your mask on. Oh boy, your eyes are so beautiful. <laughs> all right, all right. And uh, before I get into the word, I, I got a word before the word. And I don't know who this may be for other than me. Stop trying to control what you can't control. Maybe that's just for me. (laughs) But stop trying to control what you cannot control. That produces anxiety. Uh, It's a reminder that you are not God. God is in control. Not you, not me. And stop trying to control who you can't control. That person who gets on your last nerve in your home, on your job, in your family, whatever. God is saying, be still and know that I am God, which means you are not. So stop trying to control that thing that you can't control. You can't make it do what you want it to do. That's why the Bible says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So let me cast my anxieties on the Lord and let me ask him, to bless this time. There's there's a word for us today. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for an opportunity, another opportunity, another day that you have made that we get to know you, worship you, and enjoy you and share you with others to let our lights shine, to be salt, to open up our mouths and be witnesses for you to, to declare your wonders in the earth, to declare the gospel, in word, and in deed. Thank you. Thank you that we get to assemble and be the assembly one more day. We are closer to your return, and we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Until then, thank you that you have not left us without power, without help. We ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us, as Ben spoke earlier, that he would lead us into all truth, that he would allow us to be the Christ followers, Lord, that you have ordained us to be Men and women who can be bold and righteous like a lion, but also men and women, boys and girls, who can be humble and broken like a lamb. Thank you, Jesus, that we could celebrate you through communion today, that you were a man tempted in every point like us, yet without sin. You know what we're going through. So when we talk to you about pain, you can say, I've been there and I've done that. But we also thank you that you're God because you rose from the dead. And I pray, Lord God, that all of us, each of us, would experience your resurrection power personally and also in our circumstances, the things that cause us to fret, to be overly concerned to the point of worry. Lord, I pray for a resurrection, which means we got to take our hands off. Lord, I heard it said that you're the God who opens doors that no man can close and you close doors that no man can open. I just pray we keep our hands off the doorknob and let you do what you do. You are God and we are not. Help me, God, to preach your word, no matter who likes it or who doesn't like it. Help me not to be looking for approval from man, but help me, Lord, to seek the applause of heaven knowing that you're already pleased with me because of who is on me and in me, and that's your son. But Lord, I want to get it right today. I want to preach under the anointing. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, you stand ready to bless a broken vessel. So here I am, Lord. Use me and open up the ears and hearts of your people listening here and abroad that we can walk out of here with a word that will fill our soul today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Genesis chapter 2. In 1992, a beautiful woman by the name of Vanessa Williams sang a song. She performed a song called Save the Best for Last. This would go on to be Vanessa Williams' uh, greatest hit. This would go on to be her signature song, Save the Best for Last. If I could sing, I, I would give you a little bit, uh, but since I can't sing Jamie, don't laugh, laugh Jameis, you're laughing too hard. Uh, I won't sing, but some of you know the melody, know the tune of Save the Best for Last. Her, her signature song, so, Whenever she would do a concert, she would sing, save the best for last, last, because it was her song. Folks would tear up the concert hall if she didn't sing her song, save the best for last. The song that she became known for as a musician, as an artist. But I want to let you know that we do this as well. We all save the best for last. For instance... While eating, if you have a big juicy hamburger uh, or a wonderful salad, (laughs) whichever one, however you flow, you like to save the last bite to be the best bite, which is why Adriana, who's leaving right now, she said uh, sometimes she can be selfish with her food. Um, (laughs) Like... I know Harold Lursius is here, and Harold, I apologize for what I'm about to say, but have you ever gotten a Popeye's chicken sandwich? I, I don't do it a lot, but, I, but I'll get one. And when I'm eating it, I look at it, and I see the part of the chicken that's big and it's hanging off the edge, and I say, I'm saving that part for last. Curtis, can I get a witness? The, the, the last bite has to be the best bite. For, for foodies, for foodies. For, for folks who aren't foodies, yeah, you just go ahead and do what you got to do. But, but you want that last bite to be the best bite because you want to remember that sandwich. Am I right? But not only that, salespeople save the best for last. So if you have the courage to walk onto the lot where people sell cars, never take the first deal that they offer you. Am I right, Robert? Uh, uh, because they've got a better deal which they will save for last Uh, but if you're impulsive and if they know you have a need they won't talk to you about that better deal up front but if you can work with them and press them they will change the numbers and they'll say this is as low as I can go this is it I can't go any lower because they will save the best deal for last not only that if you're watching a movie or reading a book the climax is supposed to be the best part of the movie or the best part of the book because the author, the writer, the directors, the producers, they want you leaving the theater or leaving uh, having read the book, talking about the book. So if it doesn't end on an upbeat Then there's a chance you won't talk about it and tell other people. So it's building towards a climax. So that when you come out of that theater, oh man, or or from your home, oh man, did you see that? Did you see that? And you're talking about that final scene because they always try to save the best for last. And as you know, I enjoy Earth, Wind, and Fire. I've seen them in concert many times. And I love how, and they have so many hits, you know, throughout the whole show. But at the end, they're going to give you September, you know, their big hit. Uh, uh, and then if you get an encore, they come back out and they give you one that's even bigger than that because they know we have to close the concert on an upbeat, saving the best song, our, our most known song, our signature song for the close. If you go to a play and you watch a play, and Harold is also, he does drama and skits. And, uh, and at the end, they do the curtain call. And they call all the people out who performed in the play. And at the very end, the last person they invite out is the star of the show. And whoever that man or woman is, they come out last and take a bow because they always save the best for last. Well, I've got news for you. Our God does the same thing. He saves the best for last. And when we consider creation week, as we find ourselves in this series, gleaning from the garden, from the garden of Eden, going back to go forward. The first three chapters of Genesis, we see during creation week that God saved the best for last. So with your prayers and with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'd like to preach a message today entitled, God saved the best for last. You see, through the first five days of creation, God made everything by speaking it. Let there be light, and there was, and let the firmament separate from one another so there were clouds in the sky, and let there be, let there be, and everything that he said came to pass because he's that kind of God. And after he created those things on the first five days, he said, it is good, or it was good. The sun, the moon, the stars, it was was good. Vegetation, it was good. Everything was good. But on the sixth day of creation, God made animals, but he also made man and woman. And on this day, God said, it was very good. And we see that in Genesis chapter one, verse 31, that on the sixth day, When he creates man and woman, because they are made in his image, unlike the animals who are just made after their own kind. uh, We were made in the image of God, giving us value, dignity, purpose, and the capability, capacity to know God, to communicate with God, to speak to him, and to hear him speak to us. And so we're different from the animals. As a matter of fact, according to Psalm 8, God created man a little lower than the angel's. But dig this, Psalm 8 also says, he crowned man with honor and glory. Meaning that man, man and woman, we are the crown jewel of God's creation. That's right, we are the crown jewel. Being made in the image of God means that a human being is more glorious than a sunset. Let that soak in for a minute. You know, when you see a sun setting or even a sun rising, Uh, A a sun, which is a star, the sun, which is a star, is a beautiful thing to behold, but that sun was not made in the image of God. Uh, We are complex creatures. Uh, Our DNA code is unique. Our fingerprints, our dental structure, uh, even if we have identical twins, there's difference. And we are a complex, more complex than the most modern computer today or phone Uh, We are made in the image of God. It is very good. We're more glorious than a sunset, more breathtaking than a waterfall. You ever look at a waterfall and go, "Ah, that's beautiful. But human beings are more breathtaking and beautiful than a waterfall. We are more awe-inspiring than a mountainside and more beautiful than a lion with a thick, plush mane. Those things are beautiful. Those things are good. But when he looks at you and me, he says, very good. We are the crown of God's creation because we have been made in the image of God. And God even tells man in chapter one of Genesis to rule creation, to subdue creation, to subdue created things. So as glorious and as wonderful as they are, They are not more glorious and wonderful than people who are made in the image of God. And we have to believe that. So when the Lord encourages us to love him and love our neighbor, we can't leave out the fact that he calls us to love ourselves. The way that he made us, Psalm 139, verse 14, is wonderful and glorious. How he made us, he made no mistakes. You may not like your nose, but God loves your nose. You may not like your hair, but God loves your hair. He loves everything about you. And that's whether you're a Christian or not. He loves you because you're made in his image. You reflect him. As we've said in times past, uh, the image of God in us is distorted because of sin. We've all fallen. So we're born with the image of God being somewhat marred and distorted, but nonetheless, it's still the image of God. It's like going into a funhouse, And they have all the kind of mirrors and you look at your image and it's wavy and zigzag and all this kind of stuff, but you can still make yourself out. That's how it is with the image of God. Though fallen, we're still wonderful and loved by our maker. So on the sixth day when God created humans, he made the man first. He made the man first. First Timothy chapter two. So so in chapter one of Genesis... It's it's the big picture of creation. It's almost as if we're reading the mind of God when he says, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. But he manifests them in time in chapter two differently. So chapter one, male and female are together in the mind of God, the big picture. But in chapter two, they're manifested at different times and in different ways. So as I've been saying, man And woman, humans, they are the apex, the crown jewel of God's creation because we're made in his image. As beautiful as all the animals, the trees and the waters are, those things are not made in the image of God. But when God did decide to bring forth humans, he did it at a different time in a different way. First Timothy chapter two, verse 13 says, for Adam was formed first. Stop, pause. He was formed first. So therefore, what that means is God, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being, a living soul. So man was formed first, and then the verse goes on to say, then Eve. So They're equal in the sight of God in all matters pertaining to humanity and eventually redemption. Equal in all aspects, but as we'll see, with different roles, different responsibilities, but equal in all matters pertaining to humanity and redemption in the sight of God. But God says, I'm going to bring forth the man first. Why does God do that? Some would accuse God of being a male chauvinist. No, 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 no. God is a God of order. And so he brings the man forth first to establish order in the home that he's about to create and produce through marriage and through children. But he sets it up where Adam is there first as the governmental head, not only of creation, because we all come from Adam, but also of his family, Ah, let's see if I can say it this way. Remember when Eve came and they both disobeyed God. She ate of the tree first. Nothing happened. But when Adam ate from the tree, the forbidden fruit, that's when their eyes were open. Why? Because Adam was the one that God said, you will be the governmental head of the family. Which is why also when God came on the scene, After they had fallen, he said, Adam, where are you? Eve would be held accountable for her decision, but she would not be held responsible for the family to the degree that Adam was. So God had Adam first in order to establish order in the home. And as we'll see and as we preach and teach and live here at Strong Tower Bible Church, Just because a man is designated as a leader, that doesn't mean that he's better because the woman, the wife is a leader too. Can somebody say amen? Amen. We just lead differently. We have different roles. So we'll deal more with that. And also I know the uh, ATI class in the mornings led by Elder Aubrey, they get into these kinds of things. Uh, But we live in a world today where people want to discuss um, social arrangements, familial arrangements without going to the Bible. Uh, back in the day, we would get VCRs. We don't do VCRs too much now, but back in the day, we would get VCRs. Some of y'all don't even know what that is. But you get your VCR, and it comes in a box, and, uh, and it's got all the cellophane and the plastic, but it also has a thing called instructions. And the instructions would sit right there, but most of us would get rid of the instructions set up the VCR because we just got to put that DVD in there and then when we're watching it for some reason we don't understand why the DVD or the VCR just blinks the whole time 12 o'clock 12 o'clock 12 o'clock 12 o'clock we didn't read the instructions to know how to set the timer the, the machine can do 20 things we can only do two with it because we have not read the instructions Because we think we know more than the people that made the VCR. And when it comes to relationships, whether it's marriage or just regular relationships, we try to do it without reading the manual (laughs) about being kind to one another, forgiving one another, esteeming others better than yourself, looking out for the interests of others. We don't read the manual. We think we know how to do it, which is why we remain selfish in our relationships, but oh, 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 just hang with me because I'm going to be coming from the manual today. So God, he established order in the home, order. And the God who established order in the home has order within himself. For the Godhead is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are equal, these three are one, but these three are not the same. It is a mystery, the Godhead. God is one, yet he is plural in person. And uh, the, the Son... Though equal with the father, Philippians 2, he places himself under the father. They had different roles. The the father did not die on the cross. That was Jesus' role. Jesus says, I've got to leave so the comforter could come. That was his role. And so a lot of times our families struggle because we don't understand our God-ordained roles and assignments. Or we're trying to play somebody else's role. Uh, Hello, walls, amen, lights. Uh, We're trying to play somebody else's role. But God is the one that we must check into, and we must realize that he saved the best for last. Now, Adam came first, but Eve came last. And as creation builds upon itself, glory upon glory upon glory upon glory, he saved the best for last, which means the woman, according to 1 Corinthians, has a glory upon her that a man does not have. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I'll be careful, I'll be careful, I'll be careful as I'm dealing with this. I hope y'all are praying for me. And as it pertains to a woman's pertinent place in creation, a woman's, uh, she has a pertinent place in creation that often gets overlooked because we spend so much time talking about Adam, talking about how he was formed first and he got the word and he was held accountable and he fell. We don't spend a lot of time talking about the role that Eve, that woman, played in creation. So today, I want to ask three questions. Hopefully, we'll answer them. Number one, why did God say it is not good for man to be alone? That's the first thing we're going to try to answer. Why did God say it is not good for man to be alone? The second question we'll get in today is, what is a helper comparable to him? We're going to read that from the passage today. What is a helper comparable to him. Thirdly and finally, we're going to ask, why did God take one of Adam's ribs to make Eve? Okay, so, so, so that's what we're going to cover today. Those three questions. Let's start with the first question. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Bible says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. So the first question is, why did God say it is not good that man should be alone? The man was established. We know from 1 Timothy 2.13, Eve is coming. But at this point, she is not there. God is going to build on the model of man and make an even better model in woman in a moment. But the question remains, why did God say it is not good that man should be alone? The first thing I see is that God says not good. So as we're reading, he creates this, he creates that and he says, it was good. It is good. It was good. It is good. We know in the big picture, after he creates man and woman, he says, it is very good. And chapter 2 closes with uh, Adam and Eve being married in the sight of God. They're naked and not ashamed. So we see very, very good. But between good and very good is what? Not good. So when God says something is not good, we need to take notice of that. And my question is, if Adam had God, why would he feel alone? God said it is not good that man should be alone. Was man really alone? Of course not. He had God. So what does this mean? Although Adam had God, and although Adam was complete in God, he still needed human compatibility. Did you get that? Although Adam had God and was complete in God, because I want to say this right now. Being in a relationship does not make you complete. Being in God makes you complete. Mm -hmm. That's what the Bible teaches us in the book of Colossians. We are complete in him, not complete in a job, not complete in a relationship, in a marriage. We are complete in him. And so Adam was complete in God. He had God, but yet he still needed human compatibility. Not only that, Adam would soon need a wife. He would soon need a wife. Not only just compatibility, interaction with another human, which is why solitary confinement can be a a real cruel kind of punishment as men and women get incarcerated. And and some say, because of behavior, we have to set you alone, set you away, because that's a, a kind of a cruel punishment because people need interaction. Babies when they're born need human stimulation and interaction. We need that, which is why COVID has been challenging because we haven't been able to interact to the degree that we're used to. We can't hug and touch the way we're used to. And so we've been suffering because something is off because we need human interaction and compatibility. But here with Adam, he would also need a wife in a moment because he needs help to fulfill God's calling on his life. Not only does he need compatibility, but he also needs to have a wife to help him fulfill his purpose. What was his purpose? One aspect of his purpose was to fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, but also multiply. That that was part of Adam's assignment. And he can't multiply by himself. Uh, uh, Let church say, hey, he can't multiply by himself. So he's going to need... a a wife. So it is not good for him to be alone. But let me drop this nugget in for free. Uh, Single men, until God says it is not good that you should be alone, I'm going to make a helper or a wife for you. Until God says it's not good, it is good to be alone. Does God know some of us jump into relationships out of our insecurities, and we make a person an idol rather than worshiping God and depending on God and looking to God for everything. We, we look for people in the natural realm in a way that shows we're not ready for a relationship yet. Because God will have no other gods before him, even your spouse. So a lot of times we're not ready. So until God says it is good, that means it's well, before God says, uh, anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. First uh, Corinthians chapter seven. Listen to this. Verse seven. For I wish that all men were even as myself, Paul is saying. What well, was Paul? He was single. So he's like, man, I wish everybody was single. But each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. So he says being single is a gift. It's not a curse. And then he says being married is a gift not a curse because he says it's a gift from God. Everybody has their gift and the seasons with the gift can change. But the point is, can we be content where we are? So until the Lord says, it's not good for you to be alone. It is good for you to be alone. So rather than going around talking about, I got to find a wife, I got to find a husband. You're missing what God wants to do in your life right now. That doesn't mean you don't desire it. It's okay to have that desire. You put that in you if you are called to be married. Everybody's not called to be married. But don't make that the thing that drives your life. And so God says about Adam, it is not good for you to be alone. So single men, single ladies, wait on God. Oh, my single ladies, wait on God. I know it's difficult. I know it's tough. I'm just, and I'm glad, like, my son wants to be married. And, uh, and, and I, I attribute that to not only how God gave him this gift, this desire, um, but he sees a healthy marriage every day of his life. And so he wants to get in on that. But we got to make sure that he's waiting on the, on the Lord, because God says, I will make a helper. Dante, we don't need you to make the helper. Now, glad he's not here today where I can, you know, put him in a sermon. He'll get me later. But, uh, but, but I share with my son, I know it's difficult to wait on the Lord. But the thing that's more difficult than waiting on the Lord is wishing you would have waited on the Lord. Don't jump the gun. Don't, don't, don't make this your choice. So God says, uh, I will make, meaning that I will take care of this. I will make a helper. God made the woman in his image just like he made the man in his image the woman was by no means a lesser creature uh, in genesis 1:27 both man and woman are called man i just said woman is not a lesser creature but in genesis 1:27 so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female and so humanity is often called mankind but in today's culture People don't like that because, again, they feel that that's chauvinistic. That's disrespectful of women when we say man or mankind. Now, again, I'm just using biblical language here, which I'm okay using as I try to apply it to my contemporary context. I don't think God is hung up so much on verbiage the way we are. But if we have an agenda with our verbiage that goes against the kingdom construct, then we might have a little problem on our hands. But let me throw this out at you. Man, he created man, male and female. He created them. Man, mankind, humanity. Okay. But let's also go this way to help somebody out that struggles with that. Do you know that just as women are sometimes called man or mankind, men, according to the Bible in the kingdom, we are called the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is made of men and women, just like humanity is made of men and women. And so, man, I'm not going to sit there and say, I don't want to be called the bride of Christ. I'm a man. Homeboy. Yeah, you're a man, but he's the man, capital M. Okay, don't 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 miss what the language is trying to typify or to symbolize, because you want to to strain at gnats here and you want to be a uh, linguistic Uh, uh, a prosecutor where you're, you know, chopping up every word. Uh, That's incorrect language. Hey, man, calm down. Take a chill pill. I am the bride of Christ. And the Bible says I'm in a gown. Ephesians 5. White gown, you know, without spot or wrinkle. I'm not tripping. (laughs) Lighten up, baby, lighten up. Adam had to get to the point where he saw his need for a wife. It is implied that the animals came to him two by two. Can I read verse 19 to you real quick? Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever he called them, again, he's exercising his dominion. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and, every, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So he's naming the animals. The idea is that they're coming to him two by two. We get that later in the book of Genesis when God leads the animals to the ark two by two. So he, he's naming animals. And by in the process of naming animals he sees that there is no one comparable to him if they're coming two by two. So he says, "Uh, okay, this funny looking thing with a long nose, you will be Mr. Aardvark and Mrs. Aardvark. Then another thing comes along and he looks at the pointy ears and he says, you will be Mr. Bunny and Mrs. Bunny. Then another animal comes with whiskers and he says, you will be Mr. Cat and Mrs. Cat. And then another animal comes with whiskers and a long tail and it barks and makes a funny noise. And Adam says, you will be called Mr. Dog and Mrs. Dog. And then another animal comes with a long trunk, a long nose. And Adam says, you will be called Mr. Elephant and Mrs. Elephant. And then this other thing comes, It's red and part yellow, and it's got a bushy tail. And he says, you will be called Mr. Fox and Mrs. Fox. And then Adam looks around and he says, I'm seeing everybody grouped up, but there's nobody for me. Matter of fact, I see Mr. Fox and Mrs. Fox over there in the bushes. What y'all doing in them bushes? So he's like, there's nobody that compares to me. Here's the good news. Before Adam saw his need for compatibility and someone comparable to him, God saw it and knew it first. Because in verse 18, God says, it's not good for this brother to be alone. And while he's working, he realizes that he's alone. So there's nothing you're going to go through, no matter what feeling you have, what need you have, that God doesn't know about it before you do. (laughs) And he also knows the answer, the solution to whatever you're going through, whatever you're feeling. As we said last week, he does not react. He predetermines. So he will not be surprised by anything. He has every answer, every solution, every need met before we know we have questions, problems or needs. That's the kind of God we serve. And that's why when our faith is being tested, our theology must drive our social interaction. But if my theology is jacked up, I don't know the power of my God, then I'm going to be tossed to and fro. But man, let us stand on the rock and his name is Jesus. So the first question is, why did God say it's not good that man should be alone? God knew that man needed compatibility. He would eventually need someone to help him In a portion of his purpose in life which was for Adam not for everybody to multiply I hope you heard me I hope you heard me Uh, let's read Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 again as we go into the second question and that is what is a helper comparable to him verse 18 says and the Lord God said it is not good that man should be alone or all one with himself really I will make a helper, I will make, I will make a helper comparable to him. We see it again in verse 20 where it says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. I learned the Bible by asking questions of the Bible. I'm like, what does that mean? And then I try to set out to research the answers to my questions. And so the question is, what is a helper comparable to him? Well, the wrong perspective of helper is that helper is seen as inferior, which means that there are people who see women as inferior. This is the wrong perspective. The wrong perspective of helper is that people see women as slaves, as maids, as waitresses, as second-class citizens. There are people who see women as having no purpose except to find her purpose in her relationship to a man. These are the wrong perspectives of helper. The right perspective of helper. I got to dig into the Hebrew a little bit. The Hebrew word is Azar. You've heard me mention that here just a couple of weeks ago. Azar, where we get the term Eli Azar, which was one of Moses' sons. He named his son Eli Azar. Eli from Elohim means God, Azar means help. So Moses and his wife Zipporah named their son Eleazar, God is my help. So the word Azar means help in the Hebrew language. But we also need to recognize since this term help is used of God, then that means that to be someone who helps is to be in a position of power, to be a person of power, making that person powerful because there's nothing weak about God and there's nothing weak about someone who helps. The fact that you help means that you have something that I don't have. You have some ability that I need. So you're helping me with the power that you have. So Azar, it means to aid, to empower, to assist. And this word is used of other nations being an Azar to Israel when they were facing military opposition. So these nations would be an Azar. And so we speak of military combat. And so a wife is an Azar. She is one who not only aids and helps and empowers, but she's one who fights as well. Amen. Amen. Don't mess with mama now because she knows how to come for you. Uh huh. Protect your neck. According to the Wu-Tang Clan. And Psalm 121. I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So when you have a Christian man, a Christian man who knows God. God says, I got to make sure that Ben Wolf has all the help that he needs. Because Ben has help from on high. Ben has help on the inside. Through the helper called the Holy Spirit. That's one of his names, the paracletos. Help up high, help inside, and then because of Amy, help B-side. So, so, so God knew it. this brother needs some help. I, I got to give him three ways coverage of help. Up high, in high, inside, B-side. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And so a helper, a helper is a place of strength, a person of strength. So what does comparable to him mean? That just means she was of the same stuff that he was. She was made like him. She was not like the animal. She may have been a fox, but she wasn't a fox. <laughs> Ooh. She was comparable and compatible. And a little bit later, they're going to be compatible. <laughs> you, know, they, 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 you know, opposites attract. But then they had the propensity to attack. And I'm so glad God didn't leave them when they failed in their marriage. Right down the honeymoon, God stepped in and said, y'all need a deliverer. I'm sending sending the seed of a woman who's going to help you. I'm sending the Messiah. Y'all need him in your marriage. Oh, my God. And we still need him in our marriages today. So she was comparable and compatible. A woman is intrinsically all that man is, yet... In a feminine sense, she's all that man is because she comes out of him, which means she's like him. And eventually she's going to go back to him. So they, they have intrinsic qualities, but she's different. As I said earlier, her model is more improved. You, you thought man was something, but woo, it gets better and better during creation week. God saved the best for last. There's a glory on her that is not on his brother. You know, I won't go into that. We got children here. There's a glory on her that is not on this brother here. Okay. And and she is made differently, but their parts, their bodies connect properly. Oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my. I'm staying with the instruction manual so I don't get in trouble today. Uh, 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 But comparable also means suitable. So some versions will say suitable. And when you hear suit, you think of clothing, suit. Uh, and so this means that she fits him. Um, you ever buy a suit off the rack? Mm-hmm. It fits you. But if you get one tailor-made, it fits a lot better. <laughs> I've, I've had a couple in my life. Other people have bought tailor-made suits for your pastor, and I've received them. If anyone else out here wants to buy a tailor-made suit for Pastor Chris and Pastor Jerry, we will receive them. Amen. But every now and then we go to J.C. Penney and get something. And when you go there, you know it's off the rack, and, and you put it on the collars a little bit over here, but you make it work. You know it's 89.99. You know. But but when somebody says I want to make a tailor-made, the tailor comes and measures you, it goes down your arm, goes around your neck, all that, and, And and when they give it to you, it's going to fit your body, which is why between when they measure you and you get it, you don't want to gain no weight. Uh, Somebody else. Anyway, I've been there. And so, 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 so it fits you right. It was made for you. And God was saying, I'm going to give you a suitable help. I'm going to give you somebody that fits you. Now, what the marriage class has been saying, I can't get Elder Sherman to stop saying this. And that is a husband and wife after the fall. We are not perfect, but because God is in it, we are perfect for each other. She fits me and I fit her. And that's what God is saying here. I'm going to give you somebody that suits you, that fits you. And like a tailor-made suit, she will cover you and make you look better. Oh, boy. But Pastor Chris, before you go to your third and final point, can you answer me this question? Because I'm trying to listen to you and not tune you out as you talk about marriage and stuff. What if a woman is single? Is there a word for me? What if a woman was married, but now she's called to be single for the rest of her life? Is there a word for me? What if a woman is single? Does she not have worth and purpose? Outside of being married. Oh, hold on, because I think I can cover that as we go into our third and final question. Why did God take one of Adam's ribs to make Eve? Look at verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man He made into a woman. Remember now, he's saving the best for last. And he brought her to the man. Why did God use a rib, take a rib to make Eve? Now, notice the Bible says he had to take the rib. I got to give you the tacky joke that you've heard forever. I've got to say it, Jonathan. We know Adam couldn't have been a black man. Because there was no way he was going to give up one of his ribs. All right, I said it. I said it. I had to say it. It's over. Uh, uh, the Hebrew word. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to say it. I'm sorry. And I told myself, don't say it. Don't say it. And I get up here and I say it. The Hebrew word for rib. The Hebrew word for rib literally means side. Side. It is usually used in the Old Testament as an architectural word, like the side of a building, uh, uh, the the side of a panel, the wing of a building. So a side, that's in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it's usually used in an architectural way. But here it is used anatomically, okay? Usually used architecturally, but here it's used anatomically. And the woman was taken from the side Of the man. So she comes out of him, she'll eventually go back to him. And God put Adam to sleep before he took the rib. He didn't ask for the rib, he took the rib. Adam had to be to sleep. Why was Adam asleep? I believe Adam was asleep. You know, uh, some people like to go through surgery awake, most of us like to go through surgery asleep. I'm one of those kind of people, I don't care what. Hey, man, where's the knockout juice? What's going on? I want to be asleep right now. I I enjoy going to the dentist, though. Um, I like when they do that stuff. But anyway, other stuff, man, put me to sleep. Put me to sleep. Won't name the surgeries that I've had, but put me to sleep. Stuff that men need when they reach 40 and 45. Put me to sleep. Knock me out, Paul Revere. Man, I don't want to be awake. Other dudes are like, I want to be awake and I want to watch all that stuff. I'm not that dude. Who said me neither? Wrong. <laughs> but Adam has to go sleep. And I believe God puts Adam to sleep because Adam's been naming some stuff and he probably think he knows some stuff. And if God would have asked his opinion about the wife that he was going to make, they might still be there today trying to create this superwoman. God didn't want his opinion, didn't need his opinion. Let me just knock this brother out and I'm going to bring the finished model to him. Because a lot of times we want to interject and give God our opinion about what we think we want and what we think we need. When God is like, when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. No, no, no. Go to sleep. Now, here's the good news. God took the rib. The vast majority of humans are born with 12 pairs of ribs, giving us 24. No matter the gender, men have 24 ribs. Women have 24 ribs. There are 12 on each side. However, about one in 200 people are born with an extra rib called a cervical rib. So some folk have 13 on one side and 12 on the other. They got a baker's dozen on one side and 12 on the other. One in 200. But God took one of his ribs, one of his sides. And the Bible says that he made a woman in verse 22. He he made into a woman. And this word made can also be translated into fashioned or sculpted, uh, built. Now, now, now look, at, look at the Hebrew here now. Made. It can be fashioned. And don't our sisters like to be fashionable? Uh, 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 sculpted. Men. Whoop, women. And then to say built. Come on now. It preaches itself. I won't go in there, but, but I am reminded of Brick House from Commodores. I, somebody pray for me. Somebody help me out. So just, just pray for me. She, she's built. And then uh, she's a bad man. jamma comes to my mind too. you know. She, and then the brother says in the song, I'm like, I don't even think this was on a lyric sheet when he's in the studio singing the song. Then the brother says, look at her. She's a bad man. That wasn't in the song lyrics. He said, look at her. So, so she's built. My goodness. Three reasons God used a rib to make a woman. Number one, a rib is the closest bone to the heart. As such, it protects the heart and the lungs. Delicate internal organs. A rib, again, strong protector. Secondly, a rib comes from the side of a man. For that is where a man's wife should be at his side. Having dominion together. Mm -hmm. That's how side by side. God didn't take a bone from Adam's skull because the woman is not to be over her husband. He didn't take a bone from the spine because she's not to be behind her husband. He didn't take a bone from his nose because she's not to be in front. And he didn't take a bone from his heel because she's surely not to be under him, but from the side because that's where she's supposed to be. That's where she fits. She tucks right there under the side of her husband. Mm, mm, mm. God knew what he was doing. And thirdly, a rib is a mixture of bone and cartilage. It's a mixture of bone and cartilage, making it delicate and strong making it flexible, yet firm, Rip. That is a great description of my mother, of my wife, of the women that I love and know personally in my life. They are delicate, yet they are strong. They are flexible, and they are firm. These are our ladies. I wish we had grown up hearing these kinds of things being taught from pulpits, but that's normally not what we hear. But I'm so glad a new day has come. So God gave Adam the best, the best. Everything was good. Then very good. And very good came when she came. So, so he improved upon the model. There's more glory on her. She looks better than him. My God. And God says, man, boy, I've given you the best. Matter of fact, Adam, I've given you the, the top choice of rib. I've given you prime rib. And now that you have prime rib, you don't need a spare rib. That went over somebody's head. That went over somebody's head. You'll get it when you go home. When you got prime rib, you don't need a spare rib. And you surely don't need no baby got back ribs either. Let's go. You got prime rib. Stay with your rib. (laughs) I am a nut. Also, uh, let me answer that question here. All right, Pastor, all right. You've been talking about marriage, man. I I hear you. Marriage is to be honored, the Bible says. Hebrews 13, 4. And we need to say this. A woman's worth is not found in being a wife. A woman's worth, her purpose is not found in being a wife. It's not found in bearing children. It is found in being a woman. What's a woman's purpose in being a woman? A woman who knows God. That's her purpose. Pastor, prove that. I take you back to verse 22, where the Bible says, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a wife. Is that what it says? He made into a child bearer. No, he made into a woman. So before Eve was a wife, she was what? A woman. So for women who were once a wife, but they're not a wife anymore, either by death or by divorce, they're still women. Their identity is found in being women women, or a woman who never gets married. Her identity is not found in, I don't have a husband or I don't have children. Her identity is found in, I'm a woman who has been made in the image of God because God put his hands on Eve when he made her out of the rib. So she knows God, the first touch she ever had came from God, not from a man. And so, therefore, we got to, again, redeem the narrative, redeem the story, and say that she was a woman before she was a wife. She was a woman before she gave birth. And and however I've messed up today, my wife is going to clean up next Sunday on Mother's Day when she speaks. Whatever whatever dangling participles I have left out here, she will come and she will help her husband. She will help her pastor. She will help Because I need help, I need somebody, help, not just anybody. Oh, thank you. I got one amen. Thank you, Ron. I love you, man. When God God created the woman, he saved the best for last. Wait a minute, pastor. The man is the head of the wife. Yeah, he's the head of his wife, but not of other people's wives. (laughs) But also, we go to the book of Proverbs. Although the husband is the head, the Bible says a woman is the crown. So she's back on top. And truth be told, she always is on top. Anyway, anyway, anyway. You better have peace in your house anyway. (laughs) Women should be treated like they are the best because they are. Are God saved the best for last. Have you ever noticed that when sports teams are introduced, nine times out of 10, they will introduce the best player last. And again, to build that excitement and momentum in the Coliseum, the arena, wherever they'll introduce the best player last. For instance, let's go with the Chicago Bulls. This is my conclusion, all right? it can be argued that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all times. And I love LeBron James, but there's just something about number 23, okay? Uh, It can be argued that he is the best. He's never lost in the finals, never went to a game seven, all the MVPs, on and on and on and on. It can be argued. And whenever the Bulls would be announced back in the 90s, they had a signature way of doing it. Uh, uh, they would always do it where the lights would go out in the Coliseum and then you would hear this music play. So, Pete, can I hear the music real quick? We're in the Bull Stadium. Give me a little bit on it. Give me put, put some volume on it, Pete. Do y'all remember that? Can you go back to that time? announce the Bulls the announcer would say and now introducing your Chicago Bulls and they would say Oh, point guard, Ron Harper. And then they would say, and from North Carolina, six foot six, Michael Jordan. They would always save the best player for last. Now, Scotty will come out first. Scotty was strong, you know. He's good, but he's not Mike. So you let your strong person go first, but you save your best person for last. Pete, one more time, if you can run the music for me, I I gotta make it one more introduction. That's how it is. That's how it's supposed to be in your house, your bride. God saved the best for us. Let's pray. Daddy, thank you. Teach us your ways. Thank you that we can have fun learning the Bible. But Lord, we live in a time where there are so many worldly philosophies that are contrary To the kingdom agenda and design that you've laid out in scripture. Help us to be wise as serpents in this culture. Yet harmless as doves. Help us to stand for the truth without apologizing. Help us Lord in the vision of our church to explain the diverse kingdom. Which means we've got to do some teaching. Even about the family structure. And what the ideal is in the midst of a world that gives all of us ordeals. Help us to humbly yet boldly stand on the truth. Lord, I'm so sorry for how the church over the years has made women to be second class citizens. Lord, a lot of it stems from out of Judaism and how the Jews would mistreat women, look down on women, put women on the plane of Things that are owned. But I thank you, God, that even then your son walked the earth. He included women. He empowered women in ways that no rabbi had ever done. He saw the dignity and value in women who had been demon possessed and women who had been caught in adultery. Lord, I'm so glad that you were there at the well with that woman who had been shunned because of poor life choices. But you were there and you loved her well and she experienced the living water. Lord, as a pastor, I want to do what Jesus did. I wanna honor women and encourage women without contradicting or compromising your order. I thank you, Lord, for what you allow me to experience in my home, what I was able to see from my mother and father, from Dorina's parents. And Lord, so many of us just don't get to see a healthy interaction where a husband will not only lead his wife, but submit to his wife. And where a wife will want to be led and will submit to her husband because she knows he's doing his best to love her as Jesus loves them both. I thank you, Lord, that in our brokenness, Jesus is here for us. I pray for those in marriages that are struggling right now. I pray that they would not only depend on you, but go back to the instructions and not try to lean on their own understanding and figure this out on their own. We cannot succeed in your covenant without doing it your way. I pray for those, Lord God, who are having a blessed time in marriage. I pray that you will continue to bless them, but also be mindful of people who are struggling, people who are down on marriage, people who are single. Forgive us for when we make marriage out to be the thing. No, Lord, knowing you is the thing. Would you bless this house continue to keep us healthy, balanced, and strong. And when we leave this house and we go into the marketplace, help us, Lord God, to to live what we believe. And when you give us opportunities to speak what we believe, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And now, I like that. Woo.